This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a semi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. Now, a while back when COVID was in full swing last year, I made an episode on televangelists, where the practice came from and how COVID was, you know, kind of something that they were just ignoring in general. One man in particular that I brought up was a man known as Jim Backer, who ran an extremely well-known and profitable church and scam from the 60s all the way up until 1988. So today's episode is a deeper dive into him, his scam, his controversies, and his incredibly sinful behavior. Is that a bad pun? Absolutely it is. Now, just as an advanced trigger warning, there will be mentions of sexual assault in today's episode. So if you are sensitive to that, I more than understand clicking away now. But with that being said, let's get right into it. Jim Backer was born in Muskegon, Michigan in January, 1940. According to an old Herald Journal article from 1989, he was very close with his grandmother who, as he later put it, believed in him, something his own parents rarely did. His grandmother, Armilda Irwin, gave him apple pie and unconditional love. He would later dedicate his first major building project to her. But by 1940, when Jim was born, a directory of Muskegon residents listed Emmett Irwin, her husband, as a huckster. Emmett peddled whatever turned a buck, as the newspaper puts it. Apples, Christmas trees, tomatoes, mops, blankets, books. He was seen as a manipulative man. Some called him Kingfish, both for his love of fishing and for his similarities to another manipulative character on the radio's Amos and Andy show at that time. One incident even describes Emmett painting the side of his rowboat, the side facing the street, and trying to sell it with the other side still unpainted. In the paper, Jim Backer also describes being embarrassed of the poor house he grew up in, both because it was just a cement block structure, but also because his father accidentally painted it orange. He said that it looked like an oversized Florida citrus, though of course, as the author of this article seems to argue, the home wasn't quite as pitiful as Jim Backer describes and what Backer calls cement blocks were actually decorative stones. Plus, neighbors remember the home as being a dark tan, not orange. Regardless of the color of his house growing up, Jim was embarrassed that they didn't have more and he learned these huckster tactics at an early age. Obviously, Jim took this to an astronomical and deeply troubling level. And that's why we're talking about him today. I just find it interesting to discuss the possible whys of Jim's motives and whatever made him think that scamming people was a good idea, but we'll get there in a moment though. When Jim was in college, he met a woman named Tammy Faye Lavallee. They were attending the North Central Bible College in Minneapolis together and married not long after the meeting in 1961, according to one source. They dropped out of Bible college to get married in 1961 and then hit the road as traveling Pentecostal healing evangelists, mostly in the Bible Belt. 
1965, Pat Robertson invited them to start a kid's show on his tiny UHF station in Portsmouth, Virginia, based on a puppet act that was part of their ministry. A series of innovations followed. The first was the Christian talk show, modeled after The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Backer and Robinson called the show The 700 Club. The Tonight Show was the height of cultural cool, the opposite of most Christian television at the time. As Backer later told it, he and Tammy would unwind after revival meetings by watching Carson in the trailer they pulled behind their car and wonder why Christian television could not be as good. This was described as a dream come true for Jim and for eight years, Jim hosted the 700 Club, but he still wanted to do more. And so in 1974, he relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina to start the PTL Club and Christian Retreat Heritage USA. PTL, initially known as the PTL Club and known as Heritage Today, was a form of reality television. The acronym stands for Praise the Lord or People That Love, and in later years, it took on more of a Tonight Show kind of format. This show was absolutely making millions, and there's no denying that. Contributions from viewers were reportedly a million dollars a week by the early 80s. One source reads, quote, In justifying his use of the mass media, Backer responded to inquiries by likening his use of television of Jesus's use of the amphitheater of the time. I believe that if Jesus were alive today, he would be on TV, said Backer, end quote. I don't know if this rubs some people the wrong way, but I'm sure there were a few that disagreed with this, but it hardly stopped Backer's growth. I was able to find one of their later episodes, and honestly, it felt like one large Christian commercial. That's not me speaking to the content, you can believe what you would like about that. But directly after Tammy sang a song, My God is Real, Jim promotes her records, which as he says, you can find in most Christian bookstores. Right after that, he talks about the family heritage homes and we'll get into Heritage USA in a bit, asking for donations, saying if you want to stay in them, you must get your pledge in. I mean, talk about a long ad read, it lasts about 10 minutes, just talking about the homes you can pledge to stay in. Afterwards, there's another song. Then special guest Carol Schuler says that she's there to promote her book in the shadow of his wings. Then there's more singing, some prayer, and it's over. I'm not saying that Carol's book isn't worth promoting. I just wouldn't know as I haven't read it, but I was definitely surprised at how much this just felt like it was trying to sell me something, just some Jesus merch. Of course, it didn't take long for others to see this as well, and Jim's PTL ministry came into question. According to one source, federal records show that PTL president Jim Backer used donations to his television ministry to purchase a mink coat, a sports car, and a houseboat, but the minister denied any wrongdoing. The Federal Communication Commission's records obtained last month by the Charlotte Observer also said Backer told viewers who contributed more than $350,000 in 1978 and 1979 that their money was going towards South Korean and Brazilian programs. But the PTL-based Fort Mill, South Carolina failed to send the aid until more than a year after donations came in, the commission's report said. The newspaper reported Sunday that PTL used the donations to pay for part of a multi-million dollar Heritage USA complex. The commission's records, which had been confidential until the newspaper obtained them last December, also show that Backer and his wife, Tammy, used portions of PTL donations to buy personal items, including a mink coat financed by a $25,000 PTL check and a Corvette sports car. When the commission's investigation ended in 1982, the commission forwarded its findings to the Justice Department, which cited insufficient evidence in declining to take action against Backer or other PTL officials. Backer said he and the ministry have been vindicated because officials took no action against PTL when the commission's investigation was finished. 
it seems a bit premature to say he was vindicated. I feel like that says something that he implies he was cleared of any wrongdoing, whereas in this case, there just wasn't enough evidence to act. It's not as if he'd done nothing shady here. Even more frustrating, it said that Backer actually used the scandal to drum up more funds by painting himself as a victim of a witch hunt. One Washington Post article claims that about 3% of PTL's $129 million of revenue went to charitable programs. And apparently some members of the FCC never wanted to drop this case to begin with. The four to three vote to drop the case was described as unprecedented and a shouting table pounding debate behind closed doors. It was a close question. I struggled over it, says then FCC chairman, Mark Fowler, a Reagan appointee and avid deregulator who had argued for dropping the case against Backer. It may be from the advantage of hindsight that the commission might have done something different. To fight the agency, Backer hired a battery of lawyers, including a former chief counsel of the FCC. He took his case to the airwaves to provide viewers daily updates on his persecution in Washington. During the closed FCC meetings, he did what had always worked magic with his viewers. He cried. It got to the point where you couldn't let the guy cry because once he would start, you couldn't stop him, recalls Larry Bernstein, who directed the FCC staff investigation. We'd be questioning him and we'd watch his face start to contort and the tears would begin and we'd have to adjourn. And that's a new one. I know we've covered a lot in previous episodes, but I don't think we've ever talked about someone crying to get their way out of an investigation to gain sympathy points. Does anyone ever remember how maybe in elementary or middle school, if you finally stood up to a bully and you two were brought to the principal's office, the bully would always be the one that burst out in tears trying to victimize themselves as if calling them out for their actions was really the cruelty there? Like, yeah, I bet Backer was that kid too, just saying. Apparently this tactic did serve him well though, as revenue went from 28 million in 1978 to $129 million that we saw in the mid eighties. The FCC investigation, because of the way it was spun and manipulated when Backer told it, ended up being in their benefit. Backer's shady behaviors obviously didn't end there though. Apparently the same year of the investigation, 1979, the Backer's combined salary was just over $72,000. And that's a little weird, right? Hey, who could blame the guy for buying a few luxury items with that kind of pay? 72,000 may have been quite a lot in 79, but it wasn't as excessive as I was expecting. Well, as it turns out, money also flowed through a confidential executive account that raises and bonuses are deposited into. So in actuality, Jim was getting paid far, far more. And it wasn't until 1984 that the mayor of nearby Charlotte, North Carolina learned of these payments. The mayor and PTL's attorney of 10 years protested when he heard this, then resigned when they weren't stopped. Finally, some people are standing up for their morals on this episode, my God. Now, before we continue to dig into PTL a little more and see how it was actually pretty useless, let's just have a moment to talk about today's sponsors. All right, guys, you know the deal. It's time to talk about one of my favorite sponsors here on the channel, HelloFresh. You guys know the deal with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a delivery service that cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery trips to the store so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes or less in some cases. And you can enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals of the day, plus a snack and treat in between within the HelloFresh market. And they use fresh ingredients sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. And I know this isn't talked about a lot, but HelloFresh's app is really easy to work with too. And trust me, I'm a super antisocial person. I don't wanna talk to people on the phone. If I can do it through an app, through like a little sign up thing, typing something in, I would much rather do that. And HelloFresh has me covered there too. 
It's super easy. They've got photos of all the food, a little description of the recipes and what's going on that week. And you can choose to put those items in your cart and have it checked out and have it shipped to your door. Or you can skip a week if you're just not vibing it, going on vacation, like whatever the deal is, it's super easy. So if you wanna get started, go to hellofresh.com slash casket12 and use code casket12 for 12 free months, including free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash casket12. Today's episode is also sponsored by Stitch Fix. When it comes to shopping for new clothes, it can really just be a time-consuming, tedious, and expensive process. And fortunately, Stitch Fix is going to make it a little bit easier to find the clothes you love in a less amount of time. I am at a point where I absolutely hate clothing shopping. I just don't even wanna do it. It's so overwhelming, yet so underwhelming at the same time. But this season, let Stitch Fix do the hard work for you. And I have been, and I have been loving it. They have been giving me some of my favorite sweaters and I don't care that it's summer. All I want is sweaters. I will not be stopped. How Stitch Fix works is they offer clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. You just take a quick quiz, it's super easy. And each piece is chosen for your fit and your life. And it's an easy solution to finding what makes you look good and feel your best. And then they ship all those pieces to you and you try them on at home before you buy. You keep your favorites and then send the rest back. And they have free shipping, easy returns and exchanges and a prepaid return label is included. And there's no subscription needed. You can try Stitch Fix once or set it up in automatic deliveries. You'll just pay a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards each piece you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. So if you wanna get started today, make sure you go to stitchfix.com slash casket and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Again, that's stitchfix.com slash casket for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash casket. Now on to how the PTL was actually useless because even with all of this money coming into them, it's not as if the church was doing much good with it. As one article reads, showing up on Heritage's doorsteps were the homeless and the jobless. Every week, say PTL officials, small groups of such down on their luck visitors would arrive at the Charlotte bus depot, expecting to find shelter or work at Backer's Shangri-La. They'd have people coming out there who needed to be in the mental hospital, says Knox, the former Charlotte mayor, who acknowledges that the city's social service agencies would sometimes have to end up caring for such people. What we would do is send them down to the Salvation Army, says Sam Johnson. We'd give them some food money or we'd buy them a bus ticket back home. The problem was that the Heritage's brightly touted social facilities, Fort Hope, a 125 bed drug and alcohol rehabilitation center for men, and Heritage House, a 24-bed home for unwed mothers, were not equipped to handle such visitors. Backer ordered further cutbacks in these and other home missions. Unpaid bills biled up, and search for additional occupants for Kevin's house was abandoned altogether. And let me pause for just a moment here to explain what Kevin's house was, since it's actually a pretty perfect example of how little Backer and his church actually did to help anyone. Kevin's house was another project built by Backer. At first glance, it seems fantastic. Like, hey, the church was really doing something worthwhile. It was a shelter for disabled children and adults. However, the only actually disabled person living there was Kevin Widom, Baker's cousin. Over $3 million was raised for this home and yet the project never took off the ground. Kevin Whittem, 19 years old around this time and suffering from a rare bone disease, actually sued the PTL church for this, as well as Backer, because he was misrepresenting the source of the ministry's funds. According to one article, 
federal investigators are probing allegations that much of the $3 million Backer received from PTL viewers in behalf of Kevin's house was spent for other purposes. Kevin Whittem sometimes appeared with Backer on the former Jim and Tammy show when Backer sought donations. This Kevin's house scandal wasn't even recognized until Backer left PTL, and we'll discuss how that fell apart in just a bit too. However, continuously while the PTL ran, it took advantage of this young man. At best, they made him the face of a cause they didn't follow through on or really care about enough to look at. And at worst, they used Kevin for their own financial gain while having no intention of following through on making Kevin's house an actual place. I don't know which is truly the case here or how bad this exploitation truly was, but it's exploitation nonetheless. Unfortunately, this isn't the only area in which PTL was truly lacking as a church, as a show or whatever it is you wanna call it. In December, 1985, Johnson had come to PTL as World Missions Director, only to discover shortly thereafter that Backer was eliminating virtually all of the ministry's 1.8 million foreign missions programs. It was devastating, says Johnson. Johnson, however, also says that many of PTL's foreign missions were not as effective as they could have been. Usually they consisted of little more than buying television time in foreign countries and then broadcasting PTL type shows in the native language. There was no follow-up, says Johnson, nor any relationship with local churches. We never asked, hey, would you like to have a gospel program on television, says Johnson? The parent company is literally named Heritage Village Church and Missionary Fellowship. How can you call yourselves a missionary fellowship, let alone a church with this kind of behavior? Yet again, years later, they were investigated and the IRS found that over $1 million in ministry funds were used for the backer's personal benefit from 1980 to 1983. As if they weren't getting paid enough, right? Yet no action was taken at that time. It was just a low key ongoing civil audit while the backers continued to draw more than five times what the IRS viewed as reasonable for the head of a nonprofit ministry. So the question here is, is why didn't anyone act sooner? Well, the reason goes all the way up to the top. One article states, in part, the Reagan administration appears to have been less than eager to take a hard look at a popular television ministry whose evangelical Christian followers formed a key part of the president's electoral constituency. While Backer was viewed by many conservatives as politically naive and was hardly as active in the right-wing religious trenches as Falwell, Pat Robinson, or Jimmy Swalgert, there were still numerous ties between Reagan officials and his ministry. PTL was praised by no less than the president himself at one national religious broadcasters convention. Meanwhile, Vice President George Bush actively lobbied Backer as part of his campaign strategy, inviting Jim and Tammy to a campaign party at his home here last summer, where Tammy Faye, who touts shopping as therapy, was astounded to learn that Barbara Bush relaxed with needlepoint rather than credit card outings to the mall. After leaving Bush's staff, former Vice Presidential Press Secretary Pete Teeley went on the PTL payroll and received $120,000 over an 18 month period to serve as the ministry's Washington consultant. No wonder the response from Washington was described as tepid at best, even as multi-pronged federal inquiries were underway to determine if the PTL was guilty of extortion. One man, Deputy Attorney General Arnold Burns, even voiced the idea of just dropping the whole matter because a case against PTL would interfere with the ministry's First Amendment rights. Since when does the First Amendment read that extortion is okay? Again, my problem with PTL isn't necessarily their content. Yeah, most of the episodes I watched just felt like an advertisement, but there's channels like home shopping networks and things that you know are just devoted literally to just hours of trying to sell you shit. I don't think anyone is trying to censor the words that PTL used here. The issue is how they were using their money, how they lie about where it's going and things of that nature. Since when is arguing against that attacking freedom of speech or freedom of religion? 
Of course, there's a massive element to this that I've neglected until right now, but it's uh, the theme park. Heritage USA is something entirely different, but not separate from PTL. In 1986, it was the third most visited destination spot right behind Disney World and Disneyland. It was Christian Disneyland, honestly, complete with a water slide, large hotel, indoor shopping complex, and more. Apparently, Backer built a theme park based upon a vision of God. One article states, in its heyday, the inspirational park for the whole family boasted something for everybody. A miniature train carried visitors around the main campus where activities included tennis, horseback riding, and swimming. In 1986, the backers added a $12 million water park that included the world's largest wave pool and a 52 foot water slide. Heritage USA also included an extensive campground and RV park, timeshares, mid-range and luxury hotels, and even condominiums for PTL supporters, mainly retirees who wanted to live near the ministry's headquarters year round. Believers who chose to vacation or even live at the park were drawn in part by the opportunity to become a part of Backers World. Guests were almost certain to be able to see the Backers in person by attending any number of live tapings throughout the day. By the mid 1980s, the PTL satellite network was broadcasting 24 hours a day. Many programs from talk and variety shows to televised church services and Bible studies required studio audiences, which were made up of Heritage USA visitors and residents. A visit to Heritage USA offered fans the opportunity to become a very real part of the shows that they were accustomed to watching at home. And I'm not gonna lie, this sounds absolutely like it's getting on the brink of cultish territory. And this wasn't a cult. I just mean that living at Heritage USA, built by Backer, listening to him, attending his seminars, I don't know, there's something really off-putting about that. Like one man with that kind of power, just exerting it over people in a really weirdly pseudo-religious way. For a while, they had massive success until the IRS revoked their tax exempt status, unsurprisingly. They sought chapter 11 bankruptcy protection and had an estimated $72 million in debts. But hey, surely the good people watching PTL would come and stay, right? Heritage USA had a 500 room luxury hotel, which sounds like a lot until you consider that 165,000 people gave him $1,000 to stay there. They were all promised four day vacation time. So tell me how that's supposed to work. Would the place just be closed for a good year or something? Trying to tell me that all these people were gonna get the vacations that he in fact owed them? Well, anyway, the point is things were starting to look bad. He was selling lifetime partnerships that he knew he couldn't deliver on and they owed tens of millions of dollars. Perhaps if these were the only issues, maybe Jim could have manipulated his way to the top again. However, there was one scandal in particular that broke and it ultimately ended him as it should have. Now, many sources say that Jim had a sexual liaison with his secretary, or they say that Backer had sex with her then paid her off not to talk about it. Let me make it abundantly clear that this is not what happened. The truth is far worse, and it's a fucking insult to Jessica Hahn to call it anything else. She was drugged and raped. Backer claims it was consensual, and while Jessica has allegedly reported that she doesn't like to consider it rape, she's insisted it wasn't consensual either. In an old interview with Larry King, Han describes exactly what happened and stated the following. Han, the thing that happened was Jim, Tammy Faye had, well, the story goes, Tammy Faye was having an affair with the choir director or something like that. Jim Backer came along. He said, Jessica Han, listen, you're a virgin. King, were you? Han, yes, as God is my witness. And he said, I was working for a man in New York. He said, listen, we need a girl we can trust. I used to be in the accounting room and so forth and so on. King, you were how old now? Han, I was 20 years old, raised in the church from 14 on. And so what they did is sent me down to Florida, Clearwater, Florida. And they said to me, Jessica, I need you to make Jim Backer feel better and to watch. 
King, that's what church people said to you. Did you know that Tammy Faye was having this affair? Han, no, I didn't know anything. King, but he, Han, all I knew is that Tammy Faye was my idol and so was Jim Backer. King, so you go down to Clearwater. Han, I go to them and they say, we need you to watch the kids. You know, they were there in Clearwater Beach, Florida. They were raising, they were doing a telethon and King, you were like the nanny. Han, yes, I was the nanny. And so suddenly Jim Backer comes up and says, forget about the kids. The bodyguards are outside the door. He said, listen to me, Jessica, when you help the shepherd, you help the sheep. And he said, my wife is having an affair with the choir director and I need you right now to make me feel like a man. And I was a virgin and people find that hard to believe. But when you're raised in the church at 14 on, that's just the way it is. King, did you know? Han, and also he was a rock star. In my eyes, he was a rock star to me. King, did you know what he meant? Han, he was, he was, I thought God, I'd do anything for God. I'm not going to speculate why Han doesn't want to call this rape. I don't have any right to dictate how a victim defines their trauma. What I can draw from this is that she didn't want to be with him, but felt extremely pressured because he was like a rock star to me, as she says. But this isn't the only thing apparently. John Fletcher, another pastor, put GHB in Han's water or wine, one of her drinks at the time. GHB is a date rape drug. I'm going to continue with Han's account, but again, let me put a massive warning here. Things are are going to get graphic and I don't want anyone to be alarmed, but that's your advance notice. So here's the interview continued. Han, yes. So Jim Backer ripped off the bedspread and said, you know, my wife doesn't make me feel like a man anymore. And you know, when you help the shepherd, you help the sheep. And so King, did you think you were performing? What did you think while it was happening? Han, I thought, I don't want to get pregnant because you know, I'm a virgin, you know? King, did it hurt? What was it like? Han, it hurt like hell. And then after that, John Fletcher comes in, who was the middleman and said, you know, you can't just be with Jim Backer. You've got to be with me. He threw me on the floor, head back. I had blood coming out of my back. And you know, he just went nuts on me. King, did you make charges right away? Han, I kept quiet for eight years. King, why? Because I did not. My first quote was, I did not want to hurt the church. And Jim Backer and I decided we will not confirm nor deny it. But what happened was Jim Backer gave me $20,000 to get counseling. The interview continues from here with Han stating that it was actually Fletcher who broke the story, wanting to take over PTL and throwing Backer under the bus. Han explains that she doesn't believe Tammy knew any of this and she doesn't blame Tammy in the slightest. No, not for a second would she define it as consensual. Consensual, my ass, were her exact words. But here's the infuriating part. Here's the extremely ridiculous tearing my head out of my skull part. Jessica Hahn was given over $200,000 in total not to talk about this. The New York Times claims that it was closer to $363,700 in total, and other sources say it was $265,000. Now, Jessica told her story in 1987 in Playboy magazine, illustrated with semi-nude photographs for a reported $1 million. Once she broke her silence, a federal bankruptcy judge literally ordered her to pay most of that money back. And I wish I were joking. A judge ordered her to pay back the hush money she got after being drugged and raped. Han said she never wanted the money to begin with, just an apology. And that's that's fine if that's what you want. I would be really pissed about this too, but it, it just makes me absolutely insane that there's so many sources that just call this a thing or like a little fling or whatever when it was not consensual. And I don't understand why people wanna continue to imply that when it clearly was not. 
Thankfully, this was too much for the public to bear as more and more scandals began breaking. And when it was revealed that the hush money was from the PTL itself and not Jim's personal funds, it only got worse. Backer resigned in March, 1987 and another pastor named Falwell took over and Falwell has his own issues, but we're not talking about him today. He could, he could be a separate episode really. Even he couldn't save PTL, which by this point was drowning in debt. Jim claims that Falwell stole the ministry from him, but Falwell says that's like accusing someone of stealing the Titanic after it just hit the iceberg. Ultimately, the PTL shut down in October, 1987. Sure, I bet Jim didn't want his ministry to close. Maybe he thought he could wait out the scandal and return, but thankfully it wasn't that easy for him. Or was it? In 1989, he went on for trial for wire and mail fraud. One source reads, Outside the courthouse, a carnival atmosphere prevailed, reminiscent of the Scopes monkey trial in 1925. A witness collapsed on the stand and Backer had a psychological breakdown, crawling under his lawyer's couch as federal marshals came to get him. Backer was convicted and sentenced to 45 years by US District Judge Robert Maximum Bob Potter, though he served less than five. After the fall, Tammy became an icon in the gay community, the Judy Garland of televangelism. Jim now has a television ministry selling survival food and supplies and backing right-wing political causes. He claims his support was key to Donald Trump's election. Tammy Backer divorced Jim in 1992 as well and passed away in 2007 from cancer. I have absolutely no idea how aware she was of the scandals that took place or the fraud, but at least I can appreciate her attitude towards gay rights. She said, we're all people made out of the same old dirt and God didn't make any junk. As for Jim, well, he's back at it again. Not only did he serve five years, but Jim's website twists all the events that happened to make him look good. He had a moral indiscretion. He didn't sexually assault a woman. His case was overturned and he was innocent, things of that nature. It's worth mentioning that nowhere can I find a source saying that his case was overturned for the record. They all simply state that he was released early. So it's not as if he was found innocent here. He was found guilty and served time and some would argue not nearly enough. What actually happened is that the sentence was overturned because the judge displayed a personal bias against him and under federal sentencing guidelines, he could only receive between 10 to 12 years. So again, for the record, he was still guilty. His sentence was just merely reduced, but I guess it sounds a lot better for Jim to play the victim card again, since you know that's what he's good at. And uh, here's what his website also writes. Restoration is the focus of Jim Backer's message to the world. In 2015, God delivered the PTL television network back to Jim Backer Ministries. In 2016, the man who walked with presidents was restored with a phone call from President Donald Trump to thank him for his hard work during the campaign. Jim and Lori Backer were also welcomed by diplomats, members of Congress, prophets, government leaders, and amazing workers of Washington DC for the 2017 inauguration, where they joined hundreds of Christian leaders in prayer for our president and country. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. These words from the Bible are a testimony of the 56 years of Jim Backer's ministry. Today, the Jim Backer Show offers a platform for today's prophets and an open environment to unlock the mysteries of end day prophecies. Pastor Jim searches to find the truth beyond mainstream media, finding experts on recent events with amazing teachers that bring understanding of the promises of God's word. And yes, you did in fact hear that correctly. He's back with a new wife, Lori, on television, spreading his message once again. Only this time, the message is a lot darker. The Charlotte Observer states that the main mission of the Jim Backer show is now that the apocalypse is coming and you better get ready. The article continues, 
The prosperity gospel with all its glitz and money fit the culture of the 1980s and Jim found that it was a very successful component of his message, said Wigger, a professor of history at the University of Missouri. In this post 9-11 era, he's found that the apocalypse and survivalism make for a very compelling message that will also game him an audience. How's Backer's show doing? Hard to say. His daily hour long show from Missouri is carried via satellite on various Christian TV channels, Daystar, Angel One, and The Word Network, and on a dozen or so local stations, though none in Charlotte. But there are no Nielsen ratings for Christian television, just as elusive information about how much money Backer's ministry brings in, how much it spends, and how much he and his wife are paid. Since Morningside is registered as a church, it isn't required to file financial information with the IRS, but many faith-based nonprofits, including the Charlotte-based Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, do include financial details on their websites. Backers Ministry doesn't. Considering Backers past, it's pretty safe to say that I'm not really confident he's responsibly handling his church's finances. And you know, hey, I could be wrong, and I certainly hope I'm wrong for the sake of anyone that believes him and sends him money. But considering how many people he's manipulated, I wouldn't really be surprised if something despicable comes out yet again. Not to mention, they still have incredibly wealthy friends, such as developer Jerry Crawford, a one-time PTL partner that paid a reported $17 million to buy Morningside's main building, the name of Backer's current church. And it's not just a church. No, there are condos, an RV park, ways to be a part of the studio audience and a maternity home called Lori's House. Replace out the name Lori with Kevin and it sure sounds like a blast from the fucking past, doesn't it? And Jim hasn't changed one bit through any of it. At least not in terms of these massive financial goals. I don't know what he's doing with his money right now. And I don't know if he's hurt other women in recent years. If he's a changed man, great, fantastic. However, typically if someone changes and recognizes the error in their ways, they usually apologize as well. And since Backer insists that what's happened between him and Jessica was consensual, his website refers to it as an indiscretion and his general lack of responsibility for what happened is really telling. Funny how there seems to be very little accountability on his part, despite Backer having written a book called, I Was Wrong. Let that irony sink in. With that being said, that's where we're going to end today's look at Jim Backer. If you enjoyed today's episode of The Corporate Casket and This Corrupt Ministry, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. And if you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, including on Twitter, Instagram, Discord, Twitch, whatever, links for everything will be in my Linktree description box, little link thing down below. I cannot English today, my goodness. But thank you all for making it to another episode. Love you all dearly. Don't fall for stupid scams and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.